Okay, coming through. Okay, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, like Casey said, if you're new, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, it's, uh, it's an honor to host you today. And we're continuing a new series we're doing called How to Be Married. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians 5, verse 18, and we'll get there in, in just a minute. But if you don't have a Bible, it will come up on the screen, and we have free Bibles on the resource table. So please take one and keep it. Uh, it's our, another gift to you. And uh, what we're doing is, yeah, we're taking six weeks to go through this really important topic. Uh, marriage is uh, central to all civilizations. There's no point in history where marriage hasn't been a central foundational thing in people's lives. And so it's so important to us with so much confusion around marriage nowadays to get a clear idea of what does God's word, what is, as you know, those of us who want to follow Jesus, or if you're looking in from the outside saying, what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does, it, what does marriage look like? And so last week we started it with this idea of uh, freedom in marriage and the idea that people are fearful that their freedom is going to be restricted by marriage, but the only way uh, to be truly free is actually to bind yourself, is to covenant yourself with somebody else, and actually that is what produces freedom uh, in your life. And uh, that sermon's on our website if you want to listen to that, and then today we're doing identity and marriage. Next week, fulfillment and marriage, and uh, my wife and I are planning on doing that one together. Uh, and then uh, singleness and marriage, so that'd be helpful. Obviously, our church, you know, why do, why, why do a long series on marriage when we actually have so many singles in our church? It seems a little bit counterintuitive, but uh, there's a lot of actually really helpful things. Uh, most people have a profound interest in marriage, so we've got to talk about it. So then divorce and remarriage, and then sex and marriage. So there's something in here, I think, for everybody, even if you're somebody who was previously married and have no desire or you've never had a desire in marriage, there's going to be really valuable things uh, for all of us as we go through this series. But today we're going to be looking at the subject matter of identity, identity and marriage. And one of the big fears for anybody considering marriage or desiring marriage in the future, or if you are married, is the loss of your identity, the loss of your individuality. And I want to teach something that Jesus taught. Uh, so that's so I think I'm on good ground, uh, you know, just doing what Jesus did. Um, that, but it's counterintuitive. It's totally counterintuitive. I'm going to I'm going to argue today that the only way to deeply uh, have lasting identity and to know who you are is actually to let go of your identity. Is to hold it with a, with an open hand and even lose it. So here's what Jesus says in Matthew 10 verse 39. It says. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is, these are the words of Jesus, life-giving words from Jesus. He says, whoever loses his life for my sake, not for anybody else's sake, not for a spouse's sake or your own sake, but whoever loses his life for my sake, so for Jesus, will find it. This is the, the thread throughout the Bible, this idea of having faith in the power of God that when you die, when you die, God has the power to resurrect you. So as you die to yourself, God brings life out of it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to understand this. Help us to understand what it means to lose our lives for you, that therefore we might gain our lives. And for those of us who are married or we desire to be married in the future, I pray that you would help us to really get a, a grasp and a grip on this as, as how it relates to marriage. Help us to be humble. Help us to be servant-hearted. Teach us your ways. Only your ways work. The, they work the best and they're true and they're right. And so teach us your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read from Ephesians 5, verse 18 through 28. So it's kind of a longer chunk here. And let me warn you up front that some of the language in here um, doesn't sit right with a progressive palette. So stay open-minded. I'm going to try to 
unpack this as we go through this because um, this is a little bit tricky material to get through, but we're going to get through it just fine, right? Right? Okay, here we go. This is the Bible. This is what it says. The Apostle Paul wrote this a couple of thousand years ago. He says, he says to the church in Ephesus, he says, do not get, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, this is ancient truth. This is profound truth. This is actually, if you're going to study marriage, if you're interested in Jesus and following the ways of Jesus, and you're going to say, what does Jesus say about marriage? What does his word say? You cannot ignore. This is like this passage we just read here. This is like central stuff uh, in Christian teaching and Christian history and, and, and what churches have taught throughout the ages. But some of the language in here seems a little bit difficult for some of us. You know, it sounds, hey, some of this sounds a little dominating and suppressing. And I want to unpack this, and I want to show us today that this makes sense, that it's, it's not just true, but it's really helpful, that it has real-world application to us. So I want to ask us to be open-minded at this point, because here's what I'm aware of. Whenever you start talking about the most intimate relationship you could ever have, like marriage, you start talking about the differences between men and women and, and then also husbands and wives. For all of us, there are, there's emotional baggage. There are, things in, there are things that we take from our past that make it hard for us to, to dig in. We, 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 our judgment gets clouded because of the pain or something we've heard, and so our emotions get stirred up. And here's what I want us to do is if we're authentic, if, we're, if we have any interest in being truth seekers and saying, what does it, no matter what I feel about it, no matter what my experience is, what is the truth? I want to urge us to seek the divine truth because that's our anchor. That's what, you know, if it's from God, then it's going to be good. If it's from God, it's going to be good. So therefore, we've got to understand it and navigate our way through it. So let me start with this. So verse 18 was the first verse we read, which was talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. So in contrast to, hey, don't be a person of debauchery, which is excessive pleasure. Be a person who is overflowing with the presence, you know, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And this is talking about the fruit of the Spirit. So it's, it, it's, it's talking about this joy, this, and he's talking to the whole church. Paul is he's teaching a whole church how to be. And he said, so we could receive this for us. Today, say, be a joyful church. Be a, a church that sings songs. That's why we sing songs. It says it here in the Bible. So, and it says, make melody in your hearts, being thankful in everything. So we see this Holy Spirit-filled life. Uh, of, of the Christian is that there is this immense joy that flows out of, uh, out of us. And then the conclusion of all that, all of that stuff he's talking to, to the church about, is in verse 21, 
where as a conclusion he says, therefore submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Therefore submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now this phrase, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, this applies to all Christians. He's saying it to every single Christian. So we are all brothers and sisters in God's family. This is a glorious, beautiful picture. And this means that we, each of us, learn to, to willfully submit, to willfully serve each other, to say, I'm going to put the needs of those around me ahead of my needs. I'm going to serve people. I'm going to, I'm going to help them in a way that actually denies myself of something, that they might be blessed. That's, this is maturity. This is Christ-likeness. This is what God has done for us, and this is what, how we live in the world. This is how good is perpetrated in the world through selfless uh, living, through self-sacrifice. That's why Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you die, Jesus says, I'll resurrect you. Every time you die, no matter what the kind of death it is that you die, no matter what you deny of yourself, the promise of the, for the believer is you, he resurrects it. He, bring, he breathes life into it. He brings it to life. He blesses it. it our deaths and our self-denials will never go to waste in the kingdom of Jesus. It's a beautiful, glorious thing. This is God's empowering presence with us every day, every day producing maturity in us, growing us, giving us a heart for others. When we see people, we don't just see, we don't just see them as, as an object or as an opinion, or we don't just put them in categories. We don't just say, well, they look like they're this kind of person. We look at people and we have compassion. We see the need and we say, I've got a heart for them. There's nothing more central in the Christian faith than, than, than this idea, right? of loving your neighbor as yourself. Nothing more central to the teachings of Jesus, to the whole scripture. It's an incredible thing. It's throughout the whole Bible. Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then the apostle Paul, in teaching this, then to the whole church, to, 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 to submit to one another, to serve each other, then he transitions into a very specific type of relationship in the church. He's talking about marriages. And there's, you know, obviously, you know, in churches, there's going to be a lot of people who are married. Not everybody is, but there's going to be a lot of people, like, just like there is in culture. There's a lot of people who are, who are married. And so he essentially then is addressing married people, and he's saying the same thing. The heart is the same thing. He's teaching these married, you know, husbands and wives to willfully serve each other, to be people who lose their lives for the sake of Christ, that they might, might gain it, that they might gain their life back. And he starts with the wife. And he says to the wives, hey, you've got to learn to submit to your own husband. Now, notice he says your own husband. Some people have abused these kind of verses and said, oh, women should submit to men, do what men say. It's in the context of marriage, and it's in the context of learning. So the, so the, the wife actually learns to say, you know what? My husband, I'm going, to put, I'm going to put him in first place. I'm going to willfully, not, the husband doesn't have the right to force this or coerce this or, you know, make this happen. This is the, the instruction from Jesus to the wife, to all wives, saying, willfully put your husband in first place and serve him and bless him and seek his welfare and his blessing. And as you lose yourself for the sake of Jesus, you'll find yourself. That's the only way you can truly be yourself is this self-sacrificing pouring out. So that starts with, with wives. And then he moves on to husbands. And he says the ex exact same idea, but the words are actually slightly different. It's a very similar command, but I want to, there's actually a case you can make that the, the, the command to the husband comes even stronger than it did to the wife. So he says in verse 25, he says, husbands, love your wives, and we know what love is, right? Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, you know, it is not irritable, all those things. That's love. Love, is, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, 
Paul doesn't use this language in talking to the wife, but it's the same idea, but he's telling it's more force and more weight upon the husband to say, buddy, you need to live in such a way that you die for your wife, that you die for her. The husband lays down his life to love the wife. It's the same attitude that they're supposed to have. The language is slightly different in how it communicates it, but the heart is the same. And the point is clear that we're to live for others and not for ourselves. And this is the single, in marriage, I mean in most of life this is hard, but in marriage, this is the single most difficult thing to do and it's the single most important thing that you have to do to have a successful marriage. If you don't do it, it's not gonna work. Willful, self-sacrifice, both. Now, I want quickly, I wanna make a, I wanna insert a section here, but I don't wanna lose the ground I've just made up. I've just made up this great, because all this sounds great so far. But I want to insert something in here because there are some other things you might notice from this passage that are a little different. So he referred to the husband as being the head of the wife, and then he twice he says the wife should submit to the husband or her own husband, and then the second time he says submit in everything. So thank you, Apostle Paul, for throwing in in everything. Um, what does this mean? Because he says to the husband is the head. He doesn't say that about the wife. He says it's about the husband. That in these submission things, he doesn't say it to the husband. He says it to the wife. What does all this mean? These topics are highly debated, more and more strongly debated. And there's good godly people on both sides of the aisle who debate these things and believe different things about this. As believers, there's room to dif differ in some of these things. We're allowed to have some slightly different ideas about this. But I will say this, that we all must treat each other with openness and humility as it relates to these tricky subjects. But also, more than anything, we should seek the truth. And I've, what I observe oftentimes in, in the discovery of what these things mean, because they don't sound palatable to us, and so we want to change them to make them sound more palatable, the, the, the danger is, is that we, we start doing stuff with scripture and start weakening things in a way that's inauthentic and is, is theologically dishonest. So we've got to be careful not to do that. Now, let me tell you where we've landed on this. So most, the best scholars, and this is not just Christian orthodoxy, but this is today, the best scholars will say that the word head here, so the idea is that the marriage is, so they're using, a, a, Paul's using a, a, a human body as a metaphor for the marriage. The marriage is therefore is made up of two parts. So the wife is saying is the body part, and the husband is the head part. That's the picture that he's painting there. So it's one unified. You can't have one without the other. Then you're decapitated, and then you're dead. So you have to have both. They're symbiotic. They're different to each other, but they, they, they desperately need each other. But they're clearly different to each other, and that's the point. So in the Greek language, the word head is mainly used to describe an actual head, in most of the other times it's used, it's a metaphor for somebody who has authority over somebody else. Now, there have been those who have made the argument that, oh, it means other things. And those interpretations, when you push on them and you actually dig into and look at them, they're very weak. They really do not. So all of the biblical linguists and scholars today say this means authority over. So the question, now, we can't be afraid of this because then the question we have to ask is if that's what it means, if we're going to be theologically honest, that's what it means. We have to answer this question, what kind of authority, what, what, kind of authority, what, does, it, what does it mean? And there's something in here that's very helpful because it's in the context of Christ's authority. So it says as Christ is the head of the church, so Christ is our head, then the husband is of the wife. So that's the kind of that we're talking about here. So it's, it's rooted in self-denial. That's the kind of authority. So it's not self-seeking authority, like I'm in charge to do what I want to do for my own sake. It's like this. As Christ takes responsibility for his church, that his church might flourish, that his church might be 
uh, included and safe and for the well-being of his, his church, the husband is to take responsibility to seek the well-being and the flourishing of his wife. That's the, and he denies himself through that whole process, but he takes on the weight and the responsibility to seek her flourishing and to seek her protection. That's one of the greatest things throughout history that men have provided for women in the face of evil is, the, is protection. It's a glorious, wonderful dynamic that works, especially in marriage. Actually, C.S. Lewis, if you know uh, the famous author, wrote a lot of fiction and nonfiction stuff, but most famously known for the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he holds this view of uh, these, these verses here as well. And he came up with this. I'm 99.9% certain that he came up with this illustration. So if, I, if it wasn't him, I apologize, but I'm, I'm almost certain it was him. But he comes up with this picture of, of a couple or a man and a woman dancing together to illustrate what a marriage should be like and how these roles work. So in a traditional kind of dance, you know, you have uh, the, 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 you know, the man and the woman. The man is given the role of leading, and obviously that requires a lot of trust. And so they practice together, they rehearse together, they decide what kind of dance they're going to do, what kind of outfits they're going to wear. There's, there's different glories for the man and the woman. They, they represent different things, but they're one beautiful unit working in harmony together, trusting, but one has that head responsibility, that, that role. That's kind of how C.S. Lewis illustrates it and tries to describe it. And the reason this breaks down and fails so much is because of sin. And so these scriptures and these verses have been oftentimes used to oppress and silence women. Totally missing the bigger, broader purpose here, which is what Jesus says, which he says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The husband has the stronger force of language on him to die and to be in self, to deny himself for the sake of his, for the flourishing of his wife. It's a powerful, powerful idea. But listen, I don't, I know getting into these murky territories, getting into these things, it's, it's tough territory to get through because it, it can, it can offend us. And I'm, I am aware that even mentioning it, even getting into this stuff, that you might not be able to hear, any, some here might not be able to hear anything I have to say beyond this point. But so I, I don't want to lose the ground I made up at the beginning. So that, now I'm coming to the end of that little section I wanted to have there. Let's get back to this simple, obvious, universal truth that as brothers and sisters in Jesus, we're called to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ, to willfully do it. And that applies in marriage too, that we deny ourselves. The wife, the wives and future wives, that you learn this, that you learn to say, I will deny myself, I will submit myself, I will become, I will put myself in second place that my husband uh, might be blessed and that I might serve him. And that husbands, that we, I might talk to myself here and future husbands, that we learn to do this, that we learn to say, I will serve my spouse, I will take on the great responsibility to, the great responsibility to die for her, to seek her flourishing and her well-being, to protect her and to love her. I'm under divine imperative. The God of the whole universe is telling me. He's not giving me the option. He's not saying if you feel love for her, love her. He's saying you have to love her. That is such a weight upon men that has been so, we've so greatly failed in so many ways. We've got to get back to this, this, this beautiful biblical truths that, that teach us this profound wisdom that can make marriages flourish. No wonder marriages are in so much turmoil and strife and difficulty because we don't understand this divine, deep truth. Both learn to deny themselves, so neither seeks the upper hand, neither seeks the prominence, neither one says, well, I'm, I've got this need, or I've got this, neither one, they're not wrestling in that way, but they're both seeking hum humility, both seeking to serve. Marriages can only work well if both frequently serve the other. And it's gotta happen a lot. 
It's gotta be constant. That's why Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, why, why is it this way? Why has God made it this way? Why has he made the husband and wife to have different glories and to, to, to have different natures? And there's a masculine nature and a feminine nature, and then he's brought them together. Why has he done this? Well, the reason is, is because we're made to be like God. We, we're image bearers of God. We, we see this in the beginnings of the, of, of the Bible, that God says, you know, we're going to make man and, and woman in our own image to reflect God. And so, and we talk about this a lot at Destination because it's so foundational to how we live our lives. We talk about this idea that we reflect the, the image of God and that God is himself doesn't seek his own glory in the sense, you may say, that sounds wrong. I thought God does glorify himself. <laughs> so in God, there's a community of persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, the, Trin- the, the, the divine paradoxical mi- mi- um, mystery in the Christian faith. The Father, though, seeks the glory of the Son, and the Son seeks the glory of the Father, and the same with the Holy Spirit, seeking the glory of the others. So there's not self-glorification, there's the glorification of the other. So when we seek our own glory in any kind of relationship, but especially marriage, we are, we are rejecting the divine imprint we've received from God to seek the glory of the other, to lessen ourselves and to build up the other. The, the purpose of marriage is to enter into the most selfless relationship and to deeply meet the other person's needs more than they've ever been met before. This is the divine purpose of marriage. This is why Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Early on in my marriage, uh, my wife Heather, we, I think it was within the first week of marriage, she, um, she asked me if I would give her a back rub. So we're getting ready to go to bed, and she asked me for a back rub. So I'm like, hey, I'm happy to do that. Uh, things started off well for us. We actually had a good initial part of our marriage. Uh, it was like actually like year six or seven that things got really bad for us. Um, all mar- everybody underestimates how difficult marriage is, and all marriages hit really hard times. Some, sometimes it happens right away. Sometimes it doesn't happen for a while. Guaranteed it will happen. Thumbs up. Marriage is tough, but there's a purpose to it. There's something profound in it. God is doing something through it. So first week, she asked me, you know, I forget how many days it had been, but anyway, she asked me to do this, and I said, yes, I'm happy to do that. Then the next day, I'm thinking, wow, she, she really enjoyed this. She liked it a lot, so hey, this is a way I can love her. So I said, would you like me to do that again? So then I did it again. So then, you know, I kind of started to feel like, you know, like I had to keep offering to do this. See, she didn't put this on me. It was, she asked me the one time, and then I just kept offering. And, I, but, and then the problem was it was then, off, you know, I kept doing it. So then weeks turned into months. And, and, and then after a while, I really began to resent it. And I have no one to blame but myself for this because I created the situation, but I began to resent it because I started imagining a life where I had to do this every single day. <laughs> Thinking, this is not possible. I'm not Superman. I can't do this. This is impossible. How can I, you know, I, I don't have this much love to give to somebody to do this thing. Like, you know, she can go to bed without that crazy back rub. You know, I don't need to do that for her. Well, I wrestled with this for a long time. I didn't talk to her about it, actually, because I just was torn up about it. I was resenting it and all these things going on. And, and now I look back on it, I think how, how silly and childish that was at that time because the Holy Spirit really spoke to me about it and really convicted me that, of how selfish I really was being and how, how simple it was, how it really didn't take very long, and how, how simple it was and how self-denying it was and how loving it was and how much she, it was something that she actually received a lot of love through that, that simple thing. And so now it's a very common thing, unless we're obviously apart from each other or you know, something else is happening for me to offer, you know, hey, would you like me to rub your back? That's a very common thing now. And I had to learn that wasn't easy. That didn't happen right away. But that's the beauty of marriage. You learn 
to give up yourself, to die to yourself. And Jesus promises you, if you die for his sake, you'll live. If you, lose, if you lay down your identity and who you are for the sake of Jesus, you'll live. For marriages to work, both spouses have to learn to surrender their independence. You've got to surrender your independence. There's no other way that it can work than to die. So if a, if a married couple is facing problems, there's turmoil in the marriage, the first step is to look for self-centeredness in probably both. It could potentially only be in one, but it's, it's unlikely. It's usually, there's always problems on both sides. And essentially then, what you're looking for then is you're looking for an unwillingness to serve. There's an unwillingness to meet the need, to serve the need of the other. But then the question is then, is how do we find it so hard to serve each other in marriage? Three reasons. First reason we've already talked about is that we miss the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is that we die. It's the words of Jesus, that whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, that we serve the other one. That's what Jesus, that's what it means to be Christ-like. That's what it means to be a Christian for goodness sake. So oftentimes marriages are running through all these problems and it's just, we're just blinded to the fact that I just need to be a Christian in this marriage. If I'm just a Christian in this marriage, then actually we can be healthy. We can be okay. We can get through this. The second reason we find it so hard to serve each other is that we downplay the strength of our self-centeredness. So it's always like, well, they're, they're the other person, they're the one that's really self-centered. So the fault is always with them, not realizing that actually the responsibility is on us to self-reflect, to, to look internally and say, what's wrong with me? What are the weaknesses in me? And we, we really downplay, we're so blinded, we downplay our, how self-centered we truly are, how selfish we truly are, we're blind to it. And then thirdly, the third reason we find it so hard to serve in marriage is that we misunderstand our past pain. We misunderstand our past pain. Now, the past hurts. What can happen is they can be very real. So we, you could have some serious trauma in your life. You may have been abused. You may have had some awful situation happen to you that's given you some serious trauma in your life that you really need to overcome and, and, and get healing from, and that's a process, and that can take time. That's real, but you can also have kind of more, you know, regular trauma as well, like, you know, just people, you know, maybe you grew up with someone criticizing you and pointing the finger at you, or just a dysfunctional family, or some, something going on that was negative, you know, your parents got divorced, or uh, a close person to you, close to you died when you were young. Something happened that was just so traumatic, they were pretty common things, actually, and what happens is those things actually can cloak our selfishness. They can cloak our selfishness. They can make our, us blind to our selfishness. Because what happens is these past hurts and these past pains, we bring them into our relationships. And they, they affect all our relationships, but they affect marriage the most because it's the most intimate and the deepest relation, human relationship you could ever have. And as you bring these past hurts into your marriage, if you do get married, they can make you distrustful. They can make you insecure. They can make you resentful and fearful. And the problem is, here's how these past hurts can cloak, hide, blind you to your selfishness, is that perhaps one spouse or both spouses can say, well, my pain is bigger than your pain. My trauma is, is harder than yours and affects me more, and so my need is the greater need. And if one or both do this, it will absolutely destroy the marriage. Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
one of the ways that this kind of happened in our marriage was, um, I realized this about a year or two ago about myself in looking at my family tree. On both sides of my family, there's actually a lot of anxiety. And I'd never noticed that before, but in kind of tracing out family tree and looking at things that had happened in different generations, realizing, wow, this is a common thread on both sides. So I started to ponder, how does anxiety affect me? Is this something in my life that I've just not seen before? And the Holy Spirit is starting to reveal to me, show me these things in, in me. And so and Heather and I were talking about it and I was journaling about it and praying about it and trying to figure out and came to the understanding that actually I have a lot of anxiety in my life that I've never identified before. I'd never realized what it was. It was hidden. It was buried in there. I wasn't self-aware of it. But then suddenly the Holy Spirit started revealing it, started peeling back the layers and showing me that this had affected me. And one of the things then that I began to realize was I'd brought this into my marriage. So early on in our marriage especially, I would be very critical of Heather because I would feel like, you know, she's a very, if you know her, she's a very free-spirited, very relaxed, fun, upbeat person. And, um, you know, I, there were things I wanted her to be more uptight about. And it sounds ridiculous to say it, but like even, even there were things that she let our kids do. I said, I cannot believe you let our kids do that. That's not safe. Or there's all these... And there was all this anxiety, and, and it was masked because I'm British, and so I know how to control, I know how to control my emotions. So, which you know, I will say, it's it's a big weakness of the British too. But Americans maybe could learn a little bit from that sometimes. You know, just the mastery over the emotions is you know, at the appropriate times, as that can be helpful. Um, but also, there's there's some real downsides to it. But. This, this, this high anxiety in my life, realizing that, that how much that had affected me and how much I had put an expectation on Heather and had criticized her, and actually that she was the greatest gift to me to teach me really important things about how to view things in our lives and actually how to enjoy things about our lives that I wasn't able to enjoy, that I'm still learning to enjoy in a different way. And that, that, that God was using her to teach me those things. That's the beauty of marriage, that's how marriage works. And the truth is though, that our trauma and our pain from the past, the things that have happened to us in the past, the other people have inflicted on us or situations have happened to us. Listen, those people and those situations didn't create the problems we have. The problems already exist. Those situations and those people, they may magnify it, they may exacerbate it, they may, it may be throwing uh, fuel on the fire, it may be stirring it up, it may be making it more than what it was initially, but we've got to realize this, this is where Christian doctrine is so helpful, this idea that we're born in iniquity, we're born with problems, we're born with sin, we're born being self-centered and selfish. You have to learn not to be self-centered. It's not something that comes intuitively to us, that's why Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, that's why Jesus has to teach us this, because if it was obvious and intuitive, you, we would just do it. But we don't just do it. And this is what the nature of sin is. Sin is this. It's living for ourselves. Sin is simply that. It is living for myself instead of living for others. Instead of caring for others. And for marriages to be successful, sin must be ruthlessly dealt with. Let's take a step and apply this. Not just, let's not just hear this. Let's do something. Let's figure out how to put this into our lives. So go ahead and grab out, grab out that communication card that you have that Casey was talking about. If you didn't get a chance... Please go ahead and fill out uh, the front of the card. And then on the, we'd love to stay connected to you, especially if you're new. We'd, we'd really love to uh, stay connected to you. And then on the back, we have these steps. So this first one is a reminder to new people to get that gift as you leave. Second one is an invitation to our newcomer's breakfast. And there's more info on the screen about that. Uh, so we'd love to, to see you there for that. But then, and then you can also sign up for the men's retreat. But then this, this next one says, I tend to be self-centered 
blank. So we're not gonna check these and follow up on these. This is a way for you to self-articulate how to identify a blind spot in a way that you, you, you can tend to be self-centered. Now here's the challenge with asking you to self-identify this, is that we're the worst people to see our own weaknesses. So the best thing, if you can't think of anything to write in here that how do you tend to be self-centered, the best thing to do is to find the person who's closest to you and ask them. And then not get angry and defensive if, depending on what they say. I've made that mistake before, like, yeah, give me feedback and then I ignore the feedback and tell them why the feedback's wrong. Okay, I've made that mistake before and I've, I've tried to learn not to do that, to try and really listen and say, there's pro even if it's not totally right, there's probably something right in here. And, and, and that takes growth to, to get to that place to do that. But you know, if, if you're married, especially, ask your spouse and then just listen and say, I need time to think about it. You know, how do I tend to be self-centered? Right? And then you, then you know. But then also, then the next step says, I can deny myself by blank. So then think of a way, how can you give something up? How can you deny yourself and die, be buried in a tomb so that Jesus, for the sake of Jesus, for the glory of God, that his, name, that his name might be famous. How can you die that Jesus can then breathe new resurrection life into you and that you, in losing your life, you'll find your life? What's something you can give up? It's so, just, just as a Christian, say, you know, so if you're married, say to your spouse, how can I be a good Christian to you today? Which essentially means how can I be like Jesus? How can I die like Jesus died? And then you can sign up for a small group and take other steps here and write down a prayer request and We'll receive the sin at the end of the, the sermon with the offering envelope. But let me end on this point here. How do we grow in self-denial? We've got to grow in this, and how do we do it? Well, there's some clues here in these verses that we looked at. The, the big thing is that we need to become overwhelmed with God. So it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that term, that reverence, really means to be in uh, to be in awe and wonder, to be overwhelmed with the awe and wonder of who God is. Because if you think about it like this, if, you're, if anything else in your life, especially a marriage, is how you fill your tank up, that's where you get your value from, is how much love you get from this other person. It's a zero-sum game because it's transactional at that point. It's conditional love based on I receive love from them, therefore I give love to them. That's never going to work. The way that you actually grow in self-denial is to get your tank filled up from the unending stream, the divine stream of God's love, the unconditional love, and there's a word for unconditional love in the Bible, and that word is grace. And that word is connected to another word, which is the word Jesus, the grace of Jesus, that there's only one person who can give you infinite, untainted, unconditional, perfect acceptance and love, and that's the only thing that can fuel the kind of marriage that God wants us to have if we're called to be married. The only way you can go to your spouse and deny yourself and self-sacrifice yourself is if you're not looking to them to fill up your tank, but you're looking to God to fill up your tank. And so you're in awe and wonder of him. You're, you, it means deepening our relationship with Christ. It means, it means that we, you know, that spirit-filled Christian at the beginning of, of Ephesians, the, the passage we read in Ephesians 5, that, that spirit-filled, that person who is so in tune, walking with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is flowing out of us, flowing through us, empowering us, that fruit is growing us, growing us that we have so much joy in God, that out of that, you, you're happy to serve. It's not, you don't do it begrudgingly. You don't do it like resentfully. You're actually happy to do it. You say, it gives me joy to do it. I like to do it. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So if, we don't, if we're not in that place, it's because there's something 
missing in our relationship with God. We're not being filled up. We don't under, we're not enjoying the grace of Jesus. That's our purpose as a church is to enjoy and share the grace of Jesus. That's how our tank gets filled up. Let's, let's worship. Let's have the worship team come up. Let's, let's enjoy the grace of Jesus right now. Let's do what these verses say. Let's sing. Let's, let's get melody in our hearts. Let's get thankfulness in our hearts because that's the fuel we need in order to live this way, which is what Jesus says. He says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We need to live in absolute, this is how you grow in self-denial is you live in absolute awe and reverence of Christ, overflowing with that fruit of the Spirit, that presence of the Spirit in our lives. The only way you can be generous, the only way you can give something to someone else is if you've got something to give. And if you look to your spouse to get it, it's a zero-sum game because then you're taking from them and then they're taking back from you and you run out. But if you drink from the divine source, from Jesus, it's unending. You can, you can give and give and give. It's an incredible thing. And this, this gift, it's, it's a free gift. So Christians, the only alternative to the gospel of grace, to the, the good news of the grace of Jesus, the only alternative is law. It's a relationship based on your performance and how good you are. And I've got to tell you, you know it already. You know it already. We are not good enough. Even our greatest work is still tainted somehow. It's never good enough. That's why the only gospel that works, the only message that works is this, is that God loves us in spite of our sin. And if we don't understand that, then we actually can't have joy. We can't have awe. How can you have awe and wonder in a God who's just angry with you all the time and who just wants to strike you with lightning and destroy you because of these little sins you did or big sins that you did? That's not a loving, that's not an unconditional loving relationship. The only way it works is if it's unconditional and it flows and it only comes from Jesus. If you don't know it today, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, come into his family. Come in. There's two ways you can tell us. One way is actually on the back of this card. In the top right-hand section, there's a box that says, help me become a follower of Jesus. Tell us there. The other way is for, come forward for prayer. So as we come forward for communion, uh, if you're not a believer yet, instead of receiving communion, you can step to the side and our prayer team will be over here. But actually, if you want prayer for anything, you, maybe your marriage is struggling, maybe you're going through a divorce, maybe you're single and you're struggling with your singleness, or there's some, whatever it might be, there might, there's a million different things you might need prayer for. Get prayer today. Prayer is powerful. You, you know what you need more than anything? You need to drink. You need to fill up your tank with the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? Having a, a good, faithful Christian brother or sister lay their hands on you and pray for you and build you up, that'll fill you up so great. And you can go out and you can, then you can go out and die. You say, well, I've already, I've received my life. My life is safe in God because Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let's go ahead, let's worship. We're gonna receive in communication card and offering envelope. Let's stand, continue in worship.